0: Ezra came after Esther as I was kind of trying to look at the time period when Esther became queen and in that time frame towards the end of her reign Ezra was probably about four years old, five years old but he would have been killed when, when that edict, that, that decree went out. Now Nehemiah, I've never gotten a good age on that guy when he was in in that realm, but I always picture him being on the younger side, 20s, 30s. So he would have been somewhere around maybe just born and stuff because he comes after Ezra. And Malachi, he doesn't come and write his book until probably close to 30 years after Nehemiah. And so, so we have these men that are vital to the Word of God that were saved because Esther and Mordecai did what they did. And not only do we have the men like this, but we also have the Word of God because of them. Because if they would have gotten annihilated, if they would have gotten just wiped off the face of the earth, we, we would not have had the Word of God the way we have it now, nor would we have had our Savior, Jesus Christ, because they would have wiped out all the Jews. And so as I'm looking at this and contemplating where we are at in this time frame with Esther and Mordecai, it was an important time for the nation of Israel. What we have gotten to see through the book of Esther is God's providential care. That is to say, God's divine foreknowledge and predestined plan that we have seen as he set these two people in place for this time period. It, it, it's interesting as we were looking at and studying when Mordecai kind of finally stands up and takes care of business that he, 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 he tells Queen Esther Hey, if you don't stand up to the king, if you don't go and, and approach the king, then God will raise somebody else up. But perhaps God has raised you up for a time such as this. And again, it's just a phenomenal portion of, 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 of Scripture when you start understanding all that God had in store for these guys. Even though, it's interesting, they were not what we would call Good Jews. Not in comparison when we look at like a guy like Daniel who was also in captivity. You know, he, he was taken into captivity and yet we saw how he was a really good Jew, right? He, he stuck to the law. He stuck to everything. And these guys, they had the opportunity to go back to um, Ezra and or uh, Esther and... And Mordecai, they had the opportunity because now the 70 years is over and they had every opportunity to go back down to Jerusalem, but they didn't do that. They, they stayed in, in the Persian Empire in, in the northern part, which we would now call Iran area. They decided to stay. But they lived as though they were Persians. They never let on that they were Jews. They didn't keep any laws. They didn't go to, to synagogue. They didn't do any, anything like that, any kind of festivals that they have, might have had, they didn't do anything like that. And so I just found it fascinating as I was going through this book, because I've read this book, I don't know how many times, but I had never studied it and really got, d- dug deep as I was able to do. And I just found it interesting that even though they did not live as religious people, God and his sovereignty still decided to use people like that. God used them for his glory. And even though we never hear his name in this book, we never hear them acknowledge him, even though they take time to fast. It never tells us who they fast to, but we can make the assumption that they were acknowledging the God of Israel. And so even though we never hear his name, we never hear the word prayer, we never, we never hear any of that, what we do see is the hand of God and the fingerprints of God all over this book. And it fascinates me. In every situation that we have covered through this book, God had already gone before them. He had already prepared them and prepared the situation before them. And and again, if you missed any of it, you can go back online and listen to all the studies. And I just thought they were fascinating myself. Chapter 10, if you are there, you can see that it is a very, very short chapter. Most pastors, as I was looking and and seeing, uh, they usually combine chapter 10 with chapter 9 because it's only three verses. But I thought I'd be a little different. But a couple of weeks ago when I started making that decision, the Lord was already laying on my heart to do something different tonight with you all, uh, whoever showed up, that we would have just these three verses that we go through. And you know me, I could, I could sit there for an hour and share everything with you. But I don't think we're going to go that far. Um, I want to spend some time in communion with you and just worship and just, just, just digging God's providential care as we have learned through the book of Esther, that we would just sit at his feet and worship. And so I told the little farm boy here that he would uh, just bring a plethora of worship songs, and I don't know how far, how long I will go, um, but however we do this tonight, at the end we're just going to worship and, and just spend some time with the Lord. And so chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, says, and King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on, all the, on the land and on the isle islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of, of Media, Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So, what we have here in these last three verses is what uh, this very, very short chapter is what some might call an epilogue or an uh, uh, appendix, if you will, uh, of a book, um, which serves as a comment on or, or a conclusion of what's already happened. And so he just kind of gives us a short little finish uh, summary of what has, has transpired here Um, It's interesting because we read these last three verses here, and it doesn't tell us a lot, but it does tell us a lot. And it almost kind of gives us a happier ever after kind of finish, kind of ending. And they all rode off into the sunset, and they lived happily ever after, you know, type stuff, you know, which doesn't always resemble real life. And so you almost kind of go like, okay, what actually happened after this? Well, the fact of the matter is, that, that um, it, it kind of just gives us a view of what happened right after this was all done. Because, again, the Jews have just been saved. It, it, it hasn't been that long since we, we looked at what happened to Haman, what happened to Mordecai, what, you know, the big turnaround. It, it just seems like it just went bam, 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 the end. And and now we're finished here. And so it kind of gives us just a little view of what happened after that, after things kind of settled in. Because about eight years after this, from this time, King Ahasuerus will be assassinated. And he will be assassinated by one of the royal bodyguards, his royal bodyguards. And some suggest that his son... um, Artaxerxes is the one that kind of ordered that. So again, there's still some intrigue. It it doesn't end well all the time, you know, especially for kings. You either die naturally, but more than likely you get killed, assassinated because somebody wants your throne. But what we get here is just a a quick little finish of how Esther and, and what God did with Esther and Mordecai, just a quick little finish I was trying to find out exactly, so whatever happened to Mordecai? Whatever happened to Queen Esther? And I could not for the life of me, you know, in whatever Bible dictionary I looked at, is like, give me a time frame for this guy when he died, when, Esther, or when uh, Mordecai died, or when, when Esther, man, what, what happened to her? So we, we, we don't have no clue. But we do know that Ahasuerus would die eight years after this situation happened. And so it tells us right in the beginning here that King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea, which means that that here he's telling us or we're being told by the writer here that this king, he imposes this tax on the land. Now, some suggest that it was Mordecai's idea Because now he is second in command, as we just read, that it was his idea to impose these kinds of taxes on the kingdom. Because of the mess that Haman had left them in. If you remember back in chapter 3, Haman, when he came up with this idea to kill all the Jews, he decided, hey king, I'll pay for it. The guy was filthy rich, right? It was going to cost millions of dollars in our economy today. And he says, I'll take care of it for you. Just let me kill all the Jews. And, and, and it's, it's, the king is like, no, 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 no big deal, man. The country will pay for it. No worries, bro. Nothing, no skin off your back. We'll take care of the situation. So however, and I'm thinking, how much does it cost to kill a guy? You know, to kill all these people. Apparently it's to, it was going to cost a lot to kill 15 million Jews. And he was willing to pay for it, but the king says, let it come out of our treasury. Now, because this decree goes out that all the Jews were going to be killed, it kind of caused some hardship upon the kingdom. Because when it went out, many of the Jews stopped producing what they were producing already because now they have to go into plan b mode (laughs) we're going to be killed in about nine months ten months and so we have to start making provision many of them were probably trying to flee their their situation their area and stuff but it brought hardship upon the kingdom And because they were probably not producing the way they weren't producing it, they were producing before, that didn't help the economy of the kingdom. And so it left a big old mess in the kingdom. And so the imposing of tribute or taxes would help the situation. So now that there is peace in the land because of the other decree that goes out by Mordecai, that they could fight against the people, many of the Jews settled down, settled back down to where they got back to work. They were free to work without thinking we're going to be killed in a few months, several months, already counting down the days. They had no worries anymore, and it seems like they were back to earning money and helping in the economy, and they were prospering once again, which increased the prosperity Of the whole kingdom. So, if in fact this was Mordecai's doing, and he is doing this for the king and the kingdom, then the king and the kingdom deserved to share in that prosperity. So, if he came and says, Hey, king, this is what we should do to gain all that money back for the kingdom, you should be able to share in all of this. After all, after all, it was the king who had chosen Esther to become queen. It was the king eventually who promoted Mordecai to be second in command, both of them being Jews. And so all three of them, the king and these two, Esther and Mordecai, together worked together to save all the Jews from destruction and annihilation. And so all the people, both Jew and Gentile alike, I'm sure they had this obligation to take care of their kingdom. Again, they were foreigners in a land. And God had already told them through the prophet Jeremiah that you live at peace wherever you are taken into captivity. You become productive citizens for the people there, basically is what he's saying. Whatever situation you're in, you're going to represent me regardless. And so again, when the threat came for them to be killed, a lot of hullabaloo, a lot of stuff started happening. And so now things are getting back on track. And so it shares with us that he imposed this tribute, not only in the land but in the uh, islands or the coastlands as far as they could could impose these taxes. And so even though the king is mentioned here... In, these, in, in this first verse, basically, and second verse. He's mentioned here only in regards to what he did to advance Mordecai. All the power that the king had <clears throat> over the 127 provinces from, from what we know today as Pakistan all the way across through Turkey and all the way south to Ethiopia with all the power that he had with all the might that he had and it was great and all of these things were written in the chronicles of the kings of the medes and the pers and uh, the median and the media and the persians all of all of his power was, was there and was written down but what was also written was the account of the greatness of Mordecai and what he got to do for the king and it seems that they were also all his good his good works all his greatness was also written down in the chronicles of the kings of the persians unlike his predecessor Haman Mordecai actually used his office to serve the king not himself He was placed to be second in command. And again, you've got to go back and look through Scripture and see guys like Joseph. Who, who, who were brought up through terrible consequences. That, that, that all of a sudden, through, through something that was so horrible and so bad, was now raised up to be second in command to, to Pharaoh. You, you, you look at young men like, like Daniel and, and his friends you know who, who were also taken in terrible situations, taken captive, and yet God put them in situations in the in kingdoms in foreign kingdoms to be a part of the kingdoms, to to to, to have say in the king's ear. When 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 Daniel and and these these young men were, were able to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And now we have a man like, like Mordecai, who again, for, for the most part, at one point, was like the most hated Jew. And now he is in all the kingdom. And now he is the most prominent Jew in all the kingdom. And so you, you, you just kind of see, man, Lord, the, the, the things that you do in people's lives, again, it, it sounds like happy ever after. You know, somebody finally gets some justice, you know, and we don't always get to see that. We see the bad and everything that's going on, and yet we have this opportunity to see that, that with all the power and all the might that this king had, he so appreciated Mordecai. Again, I'm sure what was going through his mind was the time that Mordecai saved his life from the two eunuchs that wanted to kill him. And then when, when that whole situation happens with, with Haman, and he, he, he takes Haman out of the way, hangs him, and puts Mordecai in that place. And this man, Mordecai is doing all he possibly could to make the king look good and to make the kingdom look good. And and I just find it interesting because again when we work outside of, you know, our house and we work for people who who are secular and it's it's almost like what we're seeing here. We see a man Mordecai who now comes to understand who God is. I'm sure he did, but he had it on the down low. Who makes his boss look amazing. He's going to do what's right for that company, for that kingdom. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we're supposed to do. And we have a great example in this man, Mordecai, who was elevated to a position, a second in command to run the country basically, just like Joseph, again, in this foreign land, who makes Pharaoh look amazing. We have Mordecai who's making King Ahasuerus, a king of Persia, look amazing. That he he is soaking in all this power and all this might. And he understands that he has been placed there by God himself. And he knows his place. It wasn't going to be about him. It was about the king. It was about the kingdom. He was not there to make himself look good. He was there to make the king look good. And in return, the king made him look good. (laughs) Because he did what he was supposed to do. Again, Mordecai went from the most hated Jew in the kingdom to the most prominent Jew in all the kingdom. It says that, that his, his, uh, his goodness, or as I wrote down here, his goodness elevated him to greatness. Because when it, when it says here, and the account of the greatness of Mordecai. It was his goodness, how he conducted himself, his obedience to the king. Again, being second in command, he knew what the king wanted and what the kingdom needed. He was willing to do whatever it took to make the kingdom succeed. Just like we, when we work for somebody, we are there to make money for the boss, to make him succeed, to make him look good even if he's a heathen, (laughs) because that's what we were hired to do. And this man knew that. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't doing anything but making the kingdom good for the people, for his king and for the people. He was just the middleman that took care of all of this. And his goodness elevated him to greatness, not because he sought his own, but because he sought for others. And when he elevated, or when he was elevated to the highest office, he still maintained his humility, which is not always the case when somebody is given a place of power. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, is that old saying. And he had all the power next to the king. The king trusted him with everything, and he did not abuse it. It did not go to his head. He never forgot, basically, where he came from. Matthew 23, 12 says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And such was the case here. Haman, who exalted himself, was humbled. And Mordecai, who humbled himself, ended up being exalted. And again, I, I, I think oftentimes we want to see that in life, and we don't always get to see it. <laughs> A lot of times injustices happen in our lives, and we're going, Lord, I can't understand why. I can't understand why. And all the while, guys, all the while, God saw it. God understood it. Through, throughout this book, we never read or hear about Mordecai's righteousness when it comes to God. And as a matter of fact, it seems quite the opposite when we began this book that that, that he didn't want Esther or anybody to know who he was or who she was. But it's interesting because once he took a stand, once it was time to stand up for whatever reason against Haman, his life was never the same. Oh, he was the most hated because of it. God saw it. God saw all of that. And once he stood up for his heritage or for his people, and again, even after that, we never see him become totally religious <laughs> in, in that sense of, you know, that all of a sudden he is preaching and, and doing all these things. He continued to work and do what he was supposed to do. So I'm sure that it was or it would be a big deal for him to know that he had been written about in the books of the Chronicles of the King. Again, what, what an honor, this Jew. This Jew would be written about in, in the Chronicles, in the annals of, of the kings of Persia. But what I find more important is that he is written about in the Word of God. that lasts forever. And what he did for his people, for God's people, is written about or recorded by God in heaven. And he doesn't forget these kinds of things. And I'm sure that Mordecai will get his reward for that. And in verse 3 where it says, For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and received and well received by the multitude of his people, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. The important message that we take away from this short little chapter is that God continued to use Mordecai to help the Jews. After he he finally took a stand, after he decided, you know what, enough is enough, I'm going to take a stand for my people. Because, again, when we go back and we look at when he started, when he did not want to bow down to, to Haman, that, that the people are going, just bow down, dude. Why are you doing this? It's going to cost you your life, basically. And he says, nope, not going to bow down. And, again, I went through that whole thing that it could have been because he knew that Haman was an Amalekite and that whole fighting that happened from way back from, from, uh, from Moses and the people of Israel, and then what happened with King Saul and the Amalekites, and now this. So it's quite possible that's why he didn't. But whatever the reason was, he took a stand. And after he took a stand, all of a sudden, God began to place things in order because he already knew what was taking place, what was going to happen. Again, they were foreigners in the land, and they were subject to harassment and abuse. And they were scheduled for annihilation. But he saw. And what he saw was was that, that he did his part. He did what he was supposed to do. And so because the people were there in that place, he saw to it that the Jews would do their part. He encouraged them to live as good citizens in and among the people. And he expected others to do their part to take care of the Jews as well. And we saw that. Now, again, it didn't last forever. (laughs) But it did for a time. And I think oftentimes when we start looking at situations like, well, I can't fix it forever. It's like, yeah, but if you can fix it for right now while we live where we're at, if you can live at peace with the people around you today, it doesn't matter my, what, what might happen a year from now or, or, or ten years from now, but today live at peace with one another. And that's what he did. He caused people to live at peace because he did good to the people. It says that, that, that the, the people, because of the, great, the greatness of who he was, he was received among the Jews, the, uh, his brethren, and he, he was seeking uh, the good of his people, and he was speaking peace. He was doing what he was supposed to do. All that was within him, he did. And to me, Mordecai turns out to be quite an example for us as believers. Living and working in a secular atmosphere. (laughs) Even though he hid who he really was in the beginning, but when he Finally, stood up, he held nothing back. He didn't become religious. He he didn't all of a sudden become this rabbi or this whatever, but he never compromised. He, he he stuck to what he knew was true, and God used him and gave him favor. And even though Esther is not mentioned at the end here, we can't forget what she did and what she said. She put her life on the line when she had not been called to the king for over a month. And God honored it. And God used it for his glory. God had placed her, and again, as, as I was going through with you guys, my, my heart was just hurting for this young lady who, who was being taken from her uncle or her cousin To become part of a harem. Her parents had already died. And she gets taken away. And yet God used all of that as they prepared her to become, to become this guy's part of his harem. And to satisfy him. My heart broke for this young lady, but yet God used it all. All the ugliness that I'm sure just hurt. God used it for a time such as this. And I love what she says in in chapter four, I think it was, where she says, And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai was in the same place. If we perish, we perish, but we're gonna go down fighting. And so tonight, I'm gonna call where is farm boy? Come on up. Thomas is his name. And I just want to spend some time, guys. In, in, in worship I'm going to ask Mike if he's around if not I'll pass out or somebody can pass out the, the communion just hold the just hold the bread when we pass it out guys and, and once we finish with the song we're just going to take some time and pray over the cup not about anything else but just the cup we're just going to concentrate on who Jesus is and what he has done for us and then uh, I will probably ask one of you guys to start us off in prayer and then we're just going to have some time of prayer and then and then when I close off, then we'll go on to to the cup. And then we'll just spend some time in worship. Amen.